to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast with three dungeon masters. I've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. One is the loneliest number that you ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. Dun, 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 dun. Three dog night. Hello again, everyone. This is a super special episode of Three Wise DMs because on this episode will be Three Wise DMs because we are going to be introducing a long time guest and now indefinite co-host to the three wise dms podcast extraordinaire hey everybody it's uh chris dm chris chris nice to be glad to be here yeah absolutely absolutely so you know we we brought chris in because he's obviously guest starred uh several times and he's been gaming with us forever and ever and he obviously is my brother but uh, he doesn't sound as much like me as Matt does, if you remember our finale Curse of Strahd episode, where it literally sounded like I was just talking to myself for minutes at a time. But Which anyway. you do at times. <laughs> so, um, in that respect, one is the loneliest number, and two is the next loneliest number, because, again, thank you to the listeners, because this is a listener question from Jared that you all know. Uh, which is uh, very fortuitous because we, uh, Jared was probably some of the first questions we ever answered on the podcast. And now we're going to continue. Jared is asking uh, that he's hoping for some wisdom. So again, the tithe has been paid. He says, I've been running a Rime of the Frostmaiden campaign with three players, but they were all just as new as I was. And one seems to have lost interest and stopped showing up. And the other has run into life getting in the way. I told the last player that I will keep running it with just him, controlling the other PCs, or letting him invite some companions from a rotating list of DM PCs while I look for some other players to join. In the meantime, what are some adjustments to make considering the situation? It feels kind of self-defeating when I'm on roll 20 just murdering my monsters with a DM PC. How do I make this viable for my player while not making combat awkward where he spends five turns just watching me fight myself? <laughs> As an aside, any advice on how you guys deal when a campaign falls apart because it feels kind of awful? Grateful for any wisdom you give, Jared. Jared, thanks again. Uh, we love answering these questions. This one is actually really, really fun because the way we were we were thinking of it is almost like when you're running – solo campaigns so guys what do you think what uh what's the experiences and what do you think first off from jared's question well for when i was uh, showing jen uh how the game actually works i was the entire band of merry men all by myself oh. uh, you know i was her faithful goblin sidekick i was her pet who was intelligent and talked and did stuff i was her sister i was her sister's companion i mean that got a little rough. So after I played all of her characters and then she went, then my monsters would go. It was a lot of me. So, yeah, so I, there, I think there is something to that in the duet experience is that it's a little bit more uh, story oriented and narrative. And like you, you're, it's about the particular player you're DMing for, but you're controlling so much of the action 
that it gets to be a bit like Jared's issue where he's ending up like going five turns before <laughs> murdering his you know monsters there. I, I think there's a lot of way the, the duet system works nice and then other solo things like Mythic and stuff like that where you take the DM out of the equation and you're just all players there. You can't necessarily do that with Rhyme of the Frostbane. There are systems to allow you to take things and make them more broken up for solo play and that kind of thing. But it's... Uh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, As I was saying pre-cast here, uh, I have not run a solo um, or duet adventure campaign, anything like that. I mean, the closest I've come is some of the narrative stuff that we've talked about before, about like out of game stuff where I might be running side adventures or quests. But that's very narrative focused, very story focused, a lot less roles in combat and things like that, even though that sometimes will happen. But Tony, get back to what you were saying with the campaign you've been. It's a long running campaign that you've been running with Jen. Were you running, so like when combat would break out, would you run all of the other things or would you let her run, you know, the companion, the pet, more like a sidekick uh, situation for combat to make them feel like there's more happening? Or were you running it all because she was still very new to it? I was running it all because she was very new to it and I wanted her just to focus on the basics, initiative, her movement on the board, what her abilities went, and I handled all the other lifting in that respect. And that's basically what she wanted. She wanted to surround herself by companions. And, you know, so that's something you could do with the game. So I didn't want to take that away. But there is an unwritten formula. The more you subtract from the basic party structure of four to six, the more heavy lifting the other characters have to do in terms of story. I would totally agree with that. I think like our Fargrim and Laszlo campaign in the further, it's... um you have to I'll break that out a little Chris, break that out a little bit for the listeners so that they kind of know what what you guys have been playing with and then okay. we'll start like, to play with on Tuesday nights too woo yeah no uh so on yeah we have the Tuesday nighters but on Monday nights me and Tony had just because we were thirsty for gaming mm-hmm. we started to campaign in the sandbox uh, world we're creating called the further and so we created a characters I'm a dwarven war priest called Fargrim Frostbeard and he was a uh, was a rogue and a uh, I did he dipped in the fighter a little but rogue, yeah, he was like, a swashbuckling Laszlo yeah swashbuckler Laszlo and we were investigating things and we used it to build out the world but it became it's it's a different kind of experience especially that because it's completely you like when I show up to a to the game like I have to have some things for Fargrim to do like Tony obviously has been working on his part there in the storyline but it's completely your story so if you're it would be difficult if the player you're playing with isn't able to engage in role play a little bit you know you'd have to kind of bring that out of them it requires a little bit of story focus there when you're playing with smaller groups because it's that same thing with solo where it's almost completely narrative really like it's um you know it's a bit choose your own adventure it's a bit randomness but it's you interpreting things like with mythic or stuff like that where you're writing this story you're writing it with the help of randomness and some of the ideas there but there is it's not the same thing as when you're playing with four to six people and there's a dynamic and combat and the same sort of activity it's much more of a story focused narrative thing more based on your experience Uh, that's a good point chris i think that's and that's going to be a little difficult i think like with what jared's talking about with this this uh, frost maiden campaign um with one player because you need somebody who well, you don't need, let's say, but 
it is very helpful if the player is proactive, if they have ideas, if they want to say, I want to do this. Because we talk, Tony, you say all the time, frequency of play and the amount of people at the table changes everything dramatically. Like a shopping experience with two or three players can be really cool because you're moving more through things and you can all be involved and things can happen that you maybe don't want to have to have happen with six or seven players at the table. That's like a trip to the mall, right? And you're stuck. Yeah, exactly. So in some ways, like when you think about like that, that solo play, that let's say the duet, right? So the DM and, and the one PC or the one player, at least. So you get that ultimate focus, but that's a lot of ultimate focus. And now what do you do with them if you don't have a ton of information built out? Now, if you have something like Frostmaiden, which is an entire adventure, a lot of that is done for you. But homebrew, like with what we've been doing with the further and stuff, that's that's going to be a little bit different. Let me tell you, even with the further, though, it's a little sandboxy. And a lot of what you could do with Ryan, too, is just adjust uh, combat encounters, which is what I would do. If, uh, you know, if somebody couldn't be there that week or something like that, maybe there's not freaking five Dragonborn in there. Maybe there's only three or maybe one of them is injured or something like that. I can tweak things inside of the module itself while still retaining the general idea of the story to make up for the fact that there's less people there. So I don't need to bring, you know, five sidekicks with me in order to be able to, you know, to be able to do this encounter. Like, I don't have to play it completely as planned. Talked about bandwidth a lot, but uh, yeah, you as a DM, you can only do so much. And I, I completely agree with what Chris has said. I would adjust your counters. I would adjust the frequency of the encounters. So you're playing Rhyme of the Frost Rant Maiden. That's something I have not read, but I'd scale it back so you could operate with two or possibly three characters. I mean, when I just ran this whole campaign, the solo one I did uh, for Chris's character, I didn't make a bunch of modules that functioned for four to six characters. Because nobody nobody wanted that. So really, it was the two of us running around like Skarsky and Hutch. And uh, once in a while, there'd be a guest third NPC, but they wouldn't stick around long and they'd dip out. Yeah, tell you the truth, because I was running uh, Frost Maiden uh, for quite a while. I had a good we had five or six sessions with the girls group. And that kind of goes to Jared's final point about campaigns falling apart, because this one didn't necessarily fall apart, but some of the players did kind of like what he was experiencing. So what I did, I, I kind of threw it up to the team and said, do you guys want to run something completely different? And now we are, right? So we're doing our own thing now. But uh, the Frostman campaign, that could be very difficult to run uh, as a completely solo thing. So like Jared is doing the DMPC, but I would really even throw it less DMPC and really dip into the, I've been wanting to dip into it for a while. It just hasn't come up. But the sidekick mechanic that they built out in Tasha's, I think it's a great way to have something that feels like a real person, but isn't the DMPC where like Tony, your DMPC is Erasmus. And now in your in the newest Viking, the Ragnarok campaign. Ulfric. Ulfric, thank you. Ulfric, son of Ulfric. He is a fully fleshed out player character. He he levels in the same way. He has all of the same. Now, Tony can run that. Tony's been doing this for a long time. But the sidekick mechanic, I really like it because it whittles it down and it allows that I can throw it to the player. I can throw it to myself, you know, so 
you know, if you guys were in the further and you had the sidekick, Chris could play it one time. And then if he didn't want to play it or couldn't, you could pull it back behind the screen tone. And it's still not something that's wildly out uh, unwieldy. Right. Especially in terms of combat. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing a duet, I would make an individual DMPC. Like, that person needs the love and the flavor for that. If you're running the whole band of merry men, yeah, utilize that Tasha's option 100%. Make make so, it easier on yourself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, don't you – you're missing a little bit, I think, just to, like – I think where I was getting with the point is – some of the adventures, you're missing some of it with the combat section. And, like, not everybody wants this combat heavy a game, but combat is still going to happen because it's kind of the game, right? So there's only going to be so long that I want to fight one goblin, right? Or, like, one guy. Because if I throw three goblins in there, you're fucking dead if you're one person, right? Chris, if you remember in the Mythic campaign, we were kind of both being the PC and both the DM kind of thing because of the system. We almost got annihilated by, I think, like five crawling hands. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, there was, there was a lot of uh, the randomness in that is kind of cool. Like, is that. But, I mean, back to the sidekicks, it's, I think, the, one of the cool things that it is, is it lets you branch out and you can have a giant rat warrior or something, like, in that kind of flavor. You can, it makes it a little bit easier, the lightweight on the other side, I mean, I read was reading up on it beforehand because, truthfully, I have not played Sidekicks. Yeah. And it's a bit complicated, and it kind of almost rises to the level where I'm like, it feels like I just want to roll out a player character. Understanding that they get a decent amount of the things that you get, right? They get some extra attacks, and they get spells if you're the caster one. But it feels a little incomplete. But at the same time, for the purposes of being able to have... Uh, bigger encounters and stuff like that i think it's a great tool it yeah. just at a certain point i'm like i want him to be a full-on character at that point if i've read that much text right and absorbed that much about what he is he's practically all the way there but the really cool element is you can bring almost anything in as a sidekick it doesn't have to be a traditional race it can be whatever you want because of the fact that it's just a sidekick it can be any really creature stat block yeah. so and it should always kind of n- never have the ability to fully outshine the the hero of the story, right? And I think that's a good sidekick. Tell you the truth, uh, spoiler alerts uh, for my two players that are currently on the on the episode with me. But in the Dragonlance campaign that we've been running, they have obviously for anyone who is playing it, uh, obviously Derek Highwater, uh, the squire in Vogler, plays heavier into the at least the initial part of the story, depending on where it goes. Uh, but depending on how things go. My idea was always that if Derrett has to come in in some fashion, uh, that I would totally roll him out as uh, with the sidekick mechanic. One, to to play with it. And two, it would allow me to I could run it if I need to or I could easily throw it over to Tony or Scott or whoever to say, hey, kind of like we did with Matt with the monster wrangler. Instead, you're the sidekick wrangler, you know, because I have experienced enough players that could easily just grab that, roll them into initiative and play with the with the abilities they have. So the thing with uh, concerns surrounding sidekicks or DM NPCs is always it comes down to they don't like like the players as a whole don't like it when the DM's character is like this uber individual and i totally get that but i do advise that every character needs to have a cool moment or you've got this soft kind of useless npc that can't pull their own weight 
you got to be cool. You want to be memorable. You got to have that good moment. You have to have that moment to shine. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, the one thing when I do run DMPCs, I, if I get like the final strike on something sometimes or something like that, I'm like, ah, right. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. Right. And you're like, ah, I feel like I want to give that to things. But to your point, I think that's, you know, there so much about 5e is about the player's experience and DMs. They don't write a whole lot of stuff about like, you know, DMs, you should be happy. They're always like, oh, it's easy. You know, it's easy to run and have fun, but it can be stressful and stuff like that. So I mean, something like that makes it easier and a little bit nicer. So do you, okay. Here's the, here's a great question that we, that kind of rolls into other things we've talked about too, about fudging rolls, but this is a different thing. Do you fudge the, uh, do you fudge the kill shot? Unless it's like, Unless like your player, like your the player at your table is down, and the only way it's going to be saved is the DMPC or the sidekick, right? That's different. But like in combat, do you like no? You know, it had five hit points left, but it really now it has fifteen because that last hit didn't. You know, do you just say screw it, I'm going to let the next hit for the player, or do you just kind of let it roll? Oh my God, you really want to rip back the curtain and reveal everything, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I, I, I feel That's, like this is really off the record. Yes. Is it? Where you're at the table with us right now. I okay. did. I did it uh, in the first uh, further game with Lenny because he had never played before, and it was I forget it was one of the combats, and it was like somebody had gone right before him, and it was just a little bit below. And I'm like, I know he's coming up and I'm just like, and he came up and he hit twice or whatever. And I'm like, how do you want to do it? Right. So there's times that I could beef it out or back depending upon the experience, because in the end, like, you know, it should, right. It should be fun in the end, right. Whether it's like good or bad or or whatever, but uh, it should be fun. And so I thought that was a nice gesture. So occasionally I will Absolutely. Uh, I will add or subtract depending on that if I'm looking for a particular thing or if it's going on for too long or something like that. Yeah, that's the answer I would I give to. Right. You got to read the table. But like that was a perfect thing. Like Lenny, who was in our last episode, right, for the new DM, uh, came in with like your classic half orc barbarian characters <laughs> raging and just annihilating shit. Right. And like you get like giving them that moment of that, like, how do you want to do it is I think that's like a an awesome way to just you just reward and go, oh, this fuck, this game's the best. I'm in, you know, I mean, you set the hook a little bit. That's the magical stuff about it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I like to actually roll all my dice on the table. You saw in the <laughs> opener for uh, uh, Journey to Ragnarok, no screen. It, it's all right there. So when I got trying to decapitate Chris with my battle axe with that one berserker who was actually super threatening, he was a CR2 with, in the book, had 67 freaking hit points. Like, when I put him out there, I'm, like, biting my nails. I'm like, this is dumb. This is dumb. I shouldn't do this. And you guys manhandled him. Like, you just, like, smacked him all around. I couldn't connect. I'm like, here it comes, Chris. Here's death in a bag. Eight. <laughs> well, he's going to use reckless attack. Here it is. Nine. Ugh. No, a little, yeah, a little different when it's the villains, right? You know, you just kind of have to suck it up as the DM. But so I, I, speaking of Tony's journey to Ragnarok game, we've just had the, we've had the, uh, the intro session, uh, and already it's off to a, a really great start. And true to form, Tony, I didn't say his precast, but as we talked about in Storm Kings, man, Tony loads up fucking encounters. Like he's fucking loading up. Like I don't even fucking like. Uh, he had like twelve encounters ready. I'm sure he had more, <laughs> yes. it, it, depending on what we did. And I'm just like, 
bro, like, that's awesome. But, like, if we're not fucking level two by the end of this, I'm going to fucking die. But um, I did make a joke. Uh, it was, you know, there was half truth to it. But how do you deal? So you're running a DMPC, you're running a sidekick, you're running somebody who's the party, but also not like they're they're the 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 supporting actors, right? They're not, you know, they're not the star of the show, um, which is evident if it's just the DM and the player at the table, right? How do you deal when you know treasures are found and stuff, and then you have the uh, the DMPC tax, as I kind of called it, where all of a sudden like. Now we're splitting. We're not splitting four ways, guys. We're splitting five, and I want my cut. Like, what the fuck? Could you up it by like twenty five percent? So at least <laughs> you're controlling the treasure amount. Yeah, like you control the economy, dude. Could you just, you know, what do you what do you do? Is that a thing? Is that a thing that you want to be concerned about at all with that? Well, with my- I'm concerned about it because I want my fucking treasure. Because like this is yeah. fucking spicy, bro. <laughs> no. I don't think anyone, and of all the accusations I've suffered as a DM, I've ever been told that I'm a stingy DM. I don't think that's ever, ever come up. Yeah. But um, that is that is also very, very fair, too. You know, Tony, Tony already plays it out. He already marks everything up for you to begin with, you know, so it still doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. And the opening encounter, if I had rolled out there, I'm like, oh, look, it's the first magic item of the game. And it's that item my character weapon my character uses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that's raising eyebrows, to be fair. But if, like, we're worried about, like, how we're dividing, you know, 36 silver, I mean, uh, like, come on, get me a little slack. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I think, too, uh, it could also be the way you play the NPC. Like, uh, if you make them part of the story, it could help a little bit. Without too much, obviously, they can't be a plot vehicle for you or anything like that, but they have something to do with the overall quest. I'm thinking for that, for uh, the further of actually kind of experimenting with the DMPC of that kind of thing, where he's a bit of the facilitator, being somewhat ignorant of his overall place in the quest there, but acts rather than as a member of the party, more as a member of the party, but as more of a, you know, a plot vehicle. I'll 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 admit it, along with my fudging of rolls and stuff like that, I also will occasionally use a plot vehicle. So, in other words, like kind of a classic Gandalf kind of feel. They a help bit like that, a bit. The plot along in ways of like, what would you use that to, uh, to kind of like pepper in plot points or secrets and clues or kind of push them in a certain direction or, or what? I think he would help to push. I think pushing it a particular direction is that reveals some secrets and clues, though, mainly. Somewhat ignorantly, though, like he can't be uh, I can't just use him and they can just ask him. He's a computer and he's like, oh, yeah, no, this is that. Like he's not an ear to the DM. Like I want him to be ignorant of it, but play in the overall part, because then my thoughts about him don't have to differ from the thing. That's one of the most difficult struggles I have with the DMPC is I don't get to focus on him. So I don't feel the same about him as I do about my other PCs. Like he doesn't ever feel fleshed out enough because I have to make sure, like I want to make sure everybody else like that you're DMing for is having the thing. So I feel if I add him to the story, it could help to make it a little bit easier because he's a bit of a vehicle, right? He's still sort of leveling up. I'm getting a little bit of that extra happiness and euphoria, but you know, it just sort of, I'm considering it. I haven't done it yet, but as an idea, like it definitely, you know, makes it a little bit more NPC than the NPC. That makes me uh that makes me think, Chris and Tone, you can jump in on this too, because from the Tomb of Annihilation campaign that Chris had been running for us, the Rough Riders, 
<laughs> I, I just decided that's what the team was called. And I said it enough times, I think it went through, but it kind of became some of the running joke where you want them to be uh, knowledgeable about what they need to be knowledgeable about. But at the same point, you kind of are concerned about giving too much information away or just giving the reveals if they just ask questions, right? Uh, but we had that when we had our guide into the jungles of Chult with Iku, which was a cool mechanic uh, for anybody who hasn't done Tomb, but they literally like roll out 12 different guides, I think, or so, like, yeah, like right. different guides. Lions and everything. And, yeah, and they all have like ways in which they, they say, this is what I can give you and this is what I cost and this blah, blah, blah. And you as a party kind of discuss who do you want to hire as your guide? And it was a really cool thing. The issue comes about is that you now have this person who's the person leading you into the jungle. You don't know shit all about this. They are they have been down this way and they don't really know anything because you can't just say, hey, Eco, uh, tell me all the things I need to know to break the, the, the plot out. But at the same point, hey, Eco, tell me the things I need to know. And like finding the balance of that. What would an NPC know? Like, like, right? I, you know, I live next to a forest here. I can go walk in a forest, but I couldn't necessarily tell you everything. You walk around with our brother Matt. He would literally name every tree. Like you're walking around and tell you all the things. But yeah. so it's, I, I wanted her to have a level of knowledge that a guide would have, but she wouldn't necessarily know everything. But it's a struggle because she can't know too much. But I think as long as you make the players get the information from her, right? You don't just have her volunteer information besides, oh, this is the way you're supposed to go. But you let the players ask, and then you kind of consider what she might actually know and then deliver accordingly. That is one of the perils when you have an intellectual NPC, when you have that Gandalf figure or the guide or the Professor X, because you could then tap them as a resource. Why play playing big, stupid characters that <laughs> rip their shirts off and smash through tables and things like that. And no one's going to ask my opinion on how to uh, unravel this rune. I think that's a very good point, too. I mean, and that's a very other good tact as well, is that there is that level of either you're either a support character, right, where you're a healer or something like that, or a straight frontline tank character that can keep like absorb hit points while other characters, if you have some, if you're playing with another guy who's a wizard or something like that, he can have some space to be able to do his stuff while you're absorbing some hit point damage for him, you know, so. Yeah, just kind of rounding that that point out, because I've found, because I, I know the struggle with it, because you want to, you want to, you want to dump certain amounts of lore and plot points and secrets and clues <clears throat> onto the players, but you don't want to reveal too much. But as I've been going forward, uh, the more and more that I run, I start to realize that, like, you really don't need to hold stuff. And, Chris, we've talked about this at times. You don't need to hold as much as you think you do back from the players. You know, you want them to get the information, but how you necessarily present that information can change it dramatically. But give them the information that they're looking for and let them start to go with that, run with that. But maybe that information isn't completely correct. Maybe it's a certain way that you interpret that information, right? I'll tell you that, and I'll tell you that they probably don't get it the way that you think they get it the most <laughs> of the time. So that even though you think you dropped information, you will come back the next couple of, like sessions and they still won't get it. And you'll have to be like, oh, and I have to find another way to kind of like mention this somehow. And somebody's going to mention a rumor of this because it's funny, you you know. You understand the stuff because you're in it and you're living it. But people that as a player, 
you're just experiencing it through what the DM's telling you. So very often they don't totally get it. So if you want it to be something that they know, make sure that they get it, right? Make sure that you make it very clear because a lot of times, yeah, they just, you know, you're not really revealing too much because they don't, they won't, most of them won't remember it the next time. So. Yeah, back at 1E, they used to pride themselves on like, well, you could suddenly drop this hint, and if they're savvy, they'll pick it up. <laughs> well, guess what? If they don't, it's kind of your problem. It's like you <laughs> threw this out. This is important. Nobody picked it up on it, and now you're doing the big reveal, and everyone's like, what? what yeah. How How did this guy get the scepter? I, I don't understand. And it's like, yeah. don't you remember four episodes ago when you are talking to the bartender, and that he said to you – and then the bard said back, no, you barely remember this conversation. <laughs> totally, totally. We had this in the Storm Kings campaign where, like, I don't know if any of us caught that Erasmus had actually gotten the lightning bolt at that, you know, as the final, um, you know, uh, signature item thing, you know, that we were kind of traveling around collecting. I, and then when you used it, everyone was like, wait, when, when did that happen? You were like, yeah, remember X, Y, Z? And you're like. That uh, cutscene. Oh, yeah. oh, that cutscene. I thought that was strictly cinematic. And I'm like, right. no, guys. So, so, yeah, give that information out. And I remember authorities say it all the time. If you want somebody to get something, say it like seven times. Because it's going to take that amount of times for them to, to really get onto it. They're not going to catch – they might catch that little offhand thing, but probably not. And the problem is, is now you're – kind of running the sessions with that idea that they've picked up on that. So now you have to obfuscate and you need to figure out how to do the big reveal. And they're just like, oh, who's that guy? And you're like, you mean the fucking guy that's been like the building the whole time? Like, you know. I've been working for years on this. And that, like, that's exactly. The big reveal. Yes. Now, I, I mean, it, too, it's, I think that's a, it's seven times, right? Like, the, you have to repeat a number that many times in a commercial. But make it very clear. Like if you but type it in the chat if you're online, like have a sign, right? So um, yeah, no, you can very easily overcomplicate a plot, and with too many details, there's also opportunities for things to get missed. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know if that really increases or decreases with with a single player. You know, I don't know if that actually uh, works towards it. It might actually even work against it because they're now getting all of this information, and what the hell do I follow, right? And they're the person making all the decisions. Like uh, one of the, the advantages of having a table four to six people is that there's a group decision, right? There's usually someone who's driving it, but you have like, oh, I didn't think about that or I didn't hear him say that quite the same way. In a solo yeah. game, it's just your decisions that are kind of driving the story, yeah. which is cool and also would lead to that as well. So, so before one of the problem, go ahead. Uh, one of the problems we hit with that, I'm sorry, real fast, is that so in one, in one instance, I gave Fargo a riddle. And it's me and him. And I'm like, well, my NPC is not smart and he shouldn't get it. So I'll give you a check. And you did not make the check. And I'm like, well, crap, you're the problem with the riddle mechanic. There's not three or four other people or five other people that you could bounce this off of. You're kind of stuck. You got to lifeline somebody. <laughs> like, you know, what are you going to do? I think that's a very apt point. A riddle mechanic is that I think riddles are so intrinsic in it, probably because of like the Hobbit and stuff like that. But it's one of the most difficult things to do at the table, right? It's like the difference between doing something at home and doing it on stage. All of a sudden, in front of people, you're trying to figure out this riddle, and it becomes something where you're like, I picked something simple. I remember in the in the uh, Ragnarok game, I think one of the answers was wolf. 
and you're like, dude, you're like, your name means wolf. Like, and I'm like, I just couldn't like my brain couldn't put it together, like the pressure of combination of pressure and everything. Like I couldn't get it, but a mechanic where you could have a riddle and somehow figure it out through 5e mechanics would be a great way to be able to keep them in there while not running into that issue where people just, you know, it's difficult to be that tactically thinking all the time at the table and, you know, that, that level of focus. Also, just remove riddles from your game is the easiest. Well, thing. Yeah, uh-huh. You want something that's fun and interactive, make it interactive and make it a puzzle and put the puzzle in a physical way on the table where they can sit there and mess with it. I think that's much more a way that gets us out of our cerebral player brains and gets us into character mode more so what i did different in ragnarok is yes i threw several riddles at you from an npc however for the purposes of role play it's not like you're locked outside of the door into and you can't get through yeah. it any other methods unless you solve this riddle yeah you're just throwing having a riddle contest with this great wanderer who you came across they yeah. gave me sample riddles some of them are really off the wall and i'm like i've read norris mythology five ways from sunday and i do not get what we were talking about here how you're pulling this one out just blows my mind the gray wanderer i love it yeah, yeah. No, I, he was definitely a person who would ask riddles so it was very in character for him so i thought that was very cool but it does yeah to your point dave it's it's puzzles may be better for if you're looking for that from a, an actual trying to challenge them in some way whereas to tony's point they're good for a role play if that's the character's kind of uh you know yeah 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 so before we get to some final thoughts though i just wanted to everybody like touch on a little bit because we've all had it because his last part of it was as as an aside any advice on how you deal with campaigns that fall apart you know, I think that's something that that everybody is dealing with. Uh, this is obviously what created this question because everyone else just kind of split out. And he's just looking at him and, and his friend. Like, you want to keep playing? I don't know. You know, so what do you what do you guys think? It's going to happen. I mean, I don't care who you are. A campaign is going to take a dump. The, the dumpster fire is going to occur. The bed will get shit. It's going to get happen. It may be your fault indirectly or directly or for a million other reasons. It's okay. Just, you know, it sounds like, uh, Jared, you're taking a really solid approach. You're like, you know what? The ship took in water. I'm not prepared to abandon it. Can we still do something fun with this? Go for it. I think that's the very thing. Like, uh, campaigns, they don't make, like, we've all had uh, campaigns that made it to fifth level or sixth level and then fell apart because of what happens. But you end up finding other campaigns, their learning experiences. And if you really want to continue on, there is a lot of cool ways to be able to continue on from a duet perspective where you make the story more about the person going DM lists with something mythic where you kind of take every the whole, you know, you take that portion out and then you're just both players in a world that kind of randomly sort of evolves, you know. So it's a to Tony's point, don't feel bad about it. It's it happens to everybody. It's happened to all of us. It's happened to everyone who's ever DM'd. You have some that last forever and you have some that don't, you know, you enjoy the time that you have with them. And then you just kind of, you know, either find a way to keep it fun or you move on and find another way to find another group, maybe with this guy that you're playing with, uh, another group of players and start up a new campaign with new characters and a new, you know, beginnings and promise. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I hearken back to the old, uh, I think Marilyn Monroe probably said it, but a bunch of people have said it, though. But, like, sometimes good things fall apart so better things can come together. 
And it's I absolutely have experienced that because the very thing that led into one of the greatest points of gaming with the whole Curse of Strahd campaign was our Slaver's Bay campaign yeah. falling apart when we had to jump to Roll20. And we've gone over that on the cast many times. Uh, There's one of the games that did not make the jump. And that's what caused us to say, hey, do you guys want to maybe run Curse of Strahd? I, you know, it started out as it was going to be a whole possible different campaigns, whatever. People voted on it. Tony was, in essence, now forced into playing it a fifth time. <laughs> um, that turned into a phenomenal uh, campaign that taught me a whole bunch, uh, helped me curate my gaming group even more, as we talked about, uh, and now has led into something that I'm enjoying even more than that, which is the new Dragonlance campaign. So just keep playing with it. Uh, keep playing with the people that you have. Find new people. And... You know, especially with the virtual, you're already on Roll20. There's tons of people constantly looking for DMs to run games, for people to come in as players. And no better way to to meet people than uh, and really understand them than to, to game with them, I think. so. Yeah, no, a ton of Reddits and Discords uh, where you can play online, at, like text-based and other things, and also search for groups that are looking for stuff live and online. So Yeah, and hell, check out your gaming store in town and your Barnes & Noble. They're always running a D&D night or something. A lot of times Adventurers League, whatever. But, you know, anyway. So uh, about that time... How about any final thoughts on the campaign that fell apart and now Jared is just looking across the screen at the other player and how best to do this? Don't put too much on yourself. Uh, Keep it simple. Run one or two uh, characters. Don't overload and have fun with it the best you can. Don't put anything on you because, you know, this happened and, uh, you know, see where it goes. More, more, more players will pop up. Yeah, no, I agree with Tony. Say that. Talk with the players. See if – are you having fun? A little bit like you were talking about earlier, Dave, with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden with the characters is like, do you want to try something different here? If we want to keep going, we can keep going. But maybe there's uh, maybe there's interest to try something different. Um, so there's always – you know, remember, there's always an opportunity, even though sometimes they fall apart. They fall apart for a reason. It's a bit like life. Sometimes it was the plan all along, and you find something better along, like Curse of Strahd. So – such a great campaign. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Chris, that's a great point. That's a great time to reassess the campaign. Nothing is saying that that adventure has to continue. If they really want it to, that's awesome. And I go back to my where my Frostmaiden campaign, some of the players just, they were not they were new to D&D. Everyone was pretty much new to D&D except for Bonnie. I mean, she was my only, she was my only linchpin in the whole damn group. But some of them were really into it. Others were not. Uh, so when it kind of fell apart, I said, do you want to keep going with this or do you want to roll up some new characters and, and play something else? So there's all kinds of options there. Uh, and we obviously went over many ways in which to uh, that Tony and Chris have both run very successful uh, one on ones. Um, I, like I said, I still haven't done it myself in that way, but I, I look forward to it. And I feel like there's a lot uh, there's a lot to 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 be found in that. So anyway, um. That's it for this week. Uh, Jared, thank you again for your question. And Chris, thank you again for uh, sitting in on the chair here. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jared, for the great question. And as we do, uh, we are now going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. 
This question came from a listener who sent it in to us. If you're listening and you'd like us to answer your question, please send it in. We're always looking for reader questions to answer. You know, we're the podcast for DMs with problems. We're here to help you with your problems. So send in anything you want to hear us talk about. Send it in and we'll see if we can work it into an episode. You can do that by going to 3wisedms.com and entering it in the What's Your Problem field. You can send it to us directly through email at 3wisedms at gmail.com. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those channels. We're always looking for new questions. If you liked what you heard tonight, please give it a five-star rating in your podcast platform. That really helps us get the word out. Also, tell your friends. Share it on, share it on Facebook or wherever, or wherever, you, uh, wherever you do your social media because that stuff helps us grow, and we really appreciate that. You know, audience growth is really important. Getting you know, listeners like you, you know, telling the world that they enjoy our show is really important, and that's the number one thing you can do to help us. So if you, if you feel like we're good, please don't be shy. Don't be shy about, about, about sharing us on. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DM.